We're continuing with the series on eternal judgment, um, which is the six out of the uh, six foundational doctrines as revealed to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And uh, what we have dealt with in the, the previous uh, section of teachings is the fact that unforgiven sin will be judged on that day, that any sin that we commit in this life as believers, uh, for which we have not received forgiveness for, when we stand before the Lord Jesus on that day, that sin will then be brought to account and we will have to um, uh, repent of that sin. We will we'll be forgiven, but we've shown in Scripture that there will be a cost to pay um, and the cost is going to be incurred in our eternal inheritance. And so we want to move on to uh, uh, another part of the doctrine of eternal judgment today and we'll start this series uh, over the next couple of teachings. And we want to have a look at the rewards that are available to the saints on that day, our eternal rewards that will be available to the saints when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and we see in Scripture that, in fact, there are two categories of rewards that will be available to the saints on that particular day. There will be the category of rewards that will be given to each one of the saints uh, freely by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these rewards are rewards that cannot be earned. Uh, these are rewards that every single believer will receive exactly the same reward. No one believer will receive um, a different uh, level of reward in, these, in this particular category. And that's uh, the category we're going to touch on today. The second category of rewards, um, which we'll look at later in the series of teachings, are in fact the rewards that can be earned. But these ones cannot be earned. These ones, as we will see in Scripture, are given to us freely by the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of the saints receives exactly the same reward. So whether you be the Apostle Paul or whether you be Mike Marr, um, when we stand before the Lord in that day, these particular rewards will be given to uh, both saints equally. There will not be uh, any differentiation with regards to these rewards. So scripture we want to start with in with regards to this teaching today is in 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. And uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so we see that we, each one of us as believers, have an inheritance that has been reserved in heaven for us. And uh, that inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Fade away. And so what that really means is that that is our eternal inheritance, because um, this particular inheritance will not fade away, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it is reserved for us in heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is our eternal inheritance, which is stored up for each believer um, for, to be given to them on the day of judgment uh, when we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when our Lord Jesus um, wrote to the churches in the book of Revelations, uh, in the first uh, well, not the first chapter, but chapters 2 and 3. 
our Lord specifically writes uh, a letter to seven of his churches. Those seven churches happened to be in Asia. They were, in fact, physical churches on the earth at that time. Um, and our Lord instructed the Apostle John to write uh, those letters to those seven churches. Obviously, when our Lord wrote those letters to those churches, those same letters pertain to the church at large. And so it's as if the Lord was writing those letters to us, his church on the earth today. There's no difference uh, except obviously um, in the way that we as believers have uh, been walking our Christian walk compared to those believers as to how they were walking their Christian walk. But one of the comments that our Lord Jesus made um, to every one of those churches, when he closed off his letter, he makes the comment, to him who overcomes. And when our Lord says that, at the opening of, the, of those letters, and we've dealt with this in the previous uh, teaching earlier on, our Lord says, uh, I know your works. And he opens those letters by stating he knows our works because obviously it is our works as believers that will be judged by him on that day. But he closes off each one of those letters with the comment, to him who overcomes. Now, when our Lord makes that comment, each time he says to him who overcomes, he then lists one or more of the rewards that he have, has in store for the believer who overcomes. And then he elaborates on the reward that is available to the eternal reward that is available to the believer who overcomes. And so we want to have, because our Lord is saying these, and this is the category of rewards, by the way, that are freely given to the church. This is not the category of rewards that can be earned uh, in any way by members of the body of Christ. Um, and as we go through the teaching, you'll understand why that is. But um, it's important for us to know what it means to be, who is a, an overcomer, because that is a question that does get asked, because people say, okay, but now these rewards are only for believers who overcome. And so believers who do not overcome are not eligible for these rewards for our Lord Jesus specifically said to him who overcomes and then he lists one or two or more uh, rewards that are available to the believer who overcomes. So it's very important for us as believers to understand what the Bible says and what the Lord says about a believer who overcomes. What is the quality of a believer who overcomes? Because we need to have access to these particular rewards. And as we go through the list, you will see it's actually vital that the believer does have access to these rewards. And so, um, you know, are there certain believers, only a, a certain category of believer, who qualifies for these rewards because our Lord says to him overcomes, these are the rewards that are available. Um, and if that is the case, what about the rest of us who, who do not overcome? And so what does the scripture actually say about being an overcomer in Christ Jesus? So let's go to the Bible, and the scripture we're going to look at is in 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 4. The scripture says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So there's quite a, I mean, that's as broad as you can get. The Lord, it's the Holy Spirit is saying to us, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is actually a better translation of that would be, for whoever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And then he goes on to say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, you know, it, it is as very plain to us as, uh, the Holy Spirit is making it as plain to us as possible, that one who is classified as being an overcomer in the body of Christ is a believer in the body of Christ. For he, he opens the statement, he says, for whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Every born-again believer is born of God. And so thus every born-again believer overcomes the world. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. Now, I do a series on teachings on faith toward God, which is the second out of the six foundational doctrines taught to us in the book of Hebrews. And it's very plain to us in Scripture that as believers, we receive the gift of faith when we are born again. And so we come into the kingdom of God with nothing. We have nothing to offer um, except our sin, really, um, which God then deals with. But we bring nothing into the kingdom of God. And when we come into the kingdom of God, everything is given to us by God, including the faith that we need to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The scripture says in the book of Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians, it might be Galatians, um, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so even the faith that we receive, in, uh, that we need to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is given to us by God as a gift. And so the faith that we have as believers uh, in the kingdom of God is given to us by God. And so we certainly do have uh, the faith that overcomes the world. And the scripture says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's every born-again believer on the planet. Every born-again believer believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, scripture very plainly tells us that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you overcome the world. That is what an overcomer is like in the kingdom of God. And each one of us as believers are in fact overcomers and thus are eligible for the rewards that our Lord Jesus spoke about when he wrote to the churches in the book of Revelation. When he says, to him who overcomes. And then he, gives, uh, he elaborates on what rewards are available to those individuals. Every single born-again believer is in fact an overcomer in Christ. For we believe in Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. Our faith overcomes the world. The faith that we have, we have is the faith that has been given to us by God. And so, very clearly, uh, born-again believers are those who overcome and are thus eligible for the rewards that we will be dealing with that our Lord listed for us in uh, the book of Revelations chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to be going through each one of those rewards in individually and discussing them in a bit more detail. In the book of Revelation verse 12, verse, um, chapter 12, verse 11, there's another aspect to the, the, the overcomer given to us in Scripture. And he says, and they, talking about believers now, overcame him, talking about um, the Antichrist and Satan, 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And so we overcome Satan, we overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb. How do we do that? We believe in Jesus, and so we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And we, are, we overcome Satan and this world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ as born-again believers. Remember our Lord said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. And so as born-again believers, we do not deny Christ before men, but we acknowledge before everyone that in fact we are born-again believers. We're followers of Christ. We are Christians. And we're quite uh, proud of the fact that we have been born again. We, we, did, we don't hide it. Um, so much so that in this latter part of the scripture, it says, and they did not love their lives um, to the death. And so, you know, there are certain of us uh, that when we do share our faith in Christ and we, we live in, in, in environments that are very anti uh, the Christian faith, be it Muslim worlds, for argument's sake, uh, countries, for argument's sake, um, those believers very quickly become martyrs. And so they have to give up their lives because they acknowledge that Christ Jesus is their Lord and Savior. But that is one of the ways that we overcome the world and we overcome Satan. We do it through the blood of the Lamb, born again, and washed in His blood, uh, through the word of our testimony, because we, we're not ashamed to tell people that we're born again believers, that we've accepted Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And in fact, it's, it's like... Uh, especially when we first come into the kingdom, it's such a joy to share with others that we have been born again. But there are believers who pay the ultimate price by sharing their faith in Christ. And the scripture says, and they did not love their lives even unto death. And so that is the picture of an overcomer. Uh, one who is born again, has received the faith of God and is uh, washed in the blood of the Lamb and is not ashamed of you know, the testimony of Jesus Christ has been their Lord and Savior. And some have given their lives um, physically because of their, their, their faith in Christ. And so quite clearly that is the requirement in order to be an, uh, the overcomer that our Lord was talking about. It's no special category of Christian who has attained to a, a super spiritual uh, plateau. Now, this particular believer is an overcomer, and so this particular believer will now inherit these rewards. Not at all. In fact, the overcomer, as far as our Lord Jesus is concerned and God the Father is concerned, is everyone who believes in Jesus as being the Son of God. Those are the overcomers that our Lord is referring to, and those are the overcomers who then qualify for these um, rewards that have been laid up in heaven for us and are in store in heaven for us, waiting for us uh, for the day when we are to receive our rewards from the Lord Jesus. And as I said, these rewards are freely given to us. These rewards cannot be earned. For these rewards, in fact, were earned by the Lord Jesus Christ for us. For it is what He has done for us that has, in, that has entitled us to have access to these particular rewards. It's not a case of because I have lived as a Christian now, forget about the fact of being outside of the body of Christ, let's say we're talking about being a born-again believer, it's not a case because Mike has now lived a holy life before the Lord and really consecrated his life before the Lord and done many um, mighty works for the Lord, 
obviously by the Spirit of God, that now Mike uh, is qualified to partake of these rewards. No, not at all. It is every single born-again believer is qualified to partake of these rewards because Jesus Christ has made them freely available to His church. He has paid the price for these rewards. And so each one of us are, will be partakers of these rewards. And these are the ones that we want to go through. We mentioned that there is a second category of rewards, and we will deal with that later in the series of teachings. Uh, that second category are indeed the rewards that we can earn. Um, and those rewards will be based on the works that we do in this life. But the, the, the first category that we're going to go through in the series of teachings are the category that our Lord Jesus Christ has earned for His church and has thus made them freely available to each and every member of His church. Even those saints, remember we dealt with in the previous series of teachings, who have unconfessed sin that needs to be dealt with, those who have no inheritance we spoke of because they have chosen to have a, a lifestyle of practicing sin. Those believers who have had a, an unfruitful life, they, they've borne no fruit for the kingdom of God. Those believers, we've said, have no inheritance in store for them. But the inheritance that we were referring to there is the inheritance that can be earned. Um, but these other rewards that we will be dealing with now is freely available to every single born-again believer even the believer who has been practicing the life of sin. Um, these rewards will still be available because they fall into that category that heaven deems to be an overcomer. Remember, the, the, the heaven deems an overcomer to be one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is every single believer in the, in the body of Christ. So let us now examine these rewards that our Lord Jesus Christ listed for us in the book of Revelations in chapters 2 and chapters 3. And we'll start off and we'll go through each one of the rewards as our Lord mentions them in the scripture. The first one we want to look at is the first one that our Lord mentioned, and that is access to the tree of life. Um, and let's have a look at the scripture that our Lord, uh, where he brings us to light for us. In Revelations chapter 2, begin well, at verse 7, our Lord speaking, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so one who overcomes, the first reward that our Lord makes available to his saints is that he will grant us to um, eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, this tree of life that our Lord refers to, now, I, I understand that there are a lot of people out there that would say, well, you know, this is, our Lord speaking, spiritual, this is um, figurative language he's using. Not at all. Um, there is a, a, a physical tree of life that is um, present in heaven and is uh, stored up in heaven for the saints. And uh, we don't have access to it at this time, but we will have access to it on the day of judgment when our Lord does uh, pronounce judgment on us and uh, we then enter into um, the millennial reign with him. And we'll go through it in a little bit more detail. But this is a physical tree. Um, this is the same tree that was present in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. You will recall that there were two trees in the midst of the garden. The one was the tree of life. The other one was, was the tree of the knowledge of the 
uh, uh, Knowledge of the Fruit of the Tree of Good and Evil. It's got quite a long title. Um, the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, how's that? Uh, those two trees were there. And God said you can eat of every tree in the garden except the one of the knowledge of the tree, fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, Adam and Eve sinned and they partook of that fruit. Now they hadn't yet partaken of the fruit of the tree of life yet. Even though that fruit was available to them, the tree was there. Now what God had to do and maybe I think I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, I just wanted to put across that that particular tree was physically in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could have walked up to the tree and taken the fruit off of that tree and partaken of that fruit. They chose to walk up to the other tree and partake of that fruit rather than the fruit of the tree of life. Um, and you know, we'll get to the point. But nevertheless, it is a physical tree. Um, and even when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth to reign on the earth for his millennial reign. Now, if you understand scripture, our Lord will be coming back to the earth and he's coming back to the earth to reign physically from the city of Jerusalem for 1000 years. Now, there's a whole lot of things that have to take place before that uh, event occurs. Um, and our Lord sets up his reign on the earth. But when he does set up his reign on the earth, he will be uh, physically located in the city of Jerusalem. And we'll have a look at scripture now that just gives us a bit of insight as to what that city will look like. But one of the things that we're going to pick up in scripture now is the fact that the tree of life will be present in the city of Jerusalem when our Lord Jesus Christ reigns on the earth. So not only... Is this tree of life in the heavenly Jerusalem and we'll have a look at those scriptures shortly as well but it will be on the earth when our Lord Jesus Christ reigns on the earth for the his millennial reign that tree was also on the earth in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in that garden so the scripture we can look at which just gives us a bit of insight as to this tree of life is in Ezekiel chapter 47 in verse 12 um, uh, Ezekiel has been given a vision of what Jerusalem is going to look like in the future. And he, he gets, you know, I'm kind of digressing, but we need to just put it into context. The Lord shows him two aspects of Jerusalem. He shows him Jerusalem <coughs> when the, the temple is still going to be uh, erected and where there will in fact be um, temple worship taking place under the Old Covenant. Uh, Israel will still revert back to the Old Covenant before she comes into the Kingdom, um, but that's not part of today's teaching. But he also is shown what Jerusalem will look like when our Lord Jesus Christ reigns from Jerusalem. And he's shown certain aspects, and he, he gets shown the river of life that will flow from that temple um, through Jerusalem into, into uh, the sea, really. But he, and so this is part of the vision that uh, the Lord gives to Ezekiel for that time. And so in verse 12 it says, Along the bank of the river. Now this is the river that flows uh, from the, under the altar, the south side of the altar, the Bible talks about, um, um, in the temple. 
and it flows out of the temple and now it flows through the city of Jerusalem and it flows down towards the sea. And so that's the river that he's speaking about. This is, in fact, the river of life that proceeds from the, the throne of the Lamb, not God the Father, because God the Father is at this time still on his throne in heaven. For God the Father will only join uh, our Lord Jesus uh, on the earth after our Lord Jesus' millennial reign. So this is our Lord's reign uh, on the earth at that time. And the river of life is flowing from his throne um, out of the temple through the city of Jerusalem out into the sea. And so that's the bank of the river that Ezekiel is seeing. He says along the bank of the river on this side and that, so on both sides of that river, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Remember we said this river flows from the throne of our Lord Jesus in the temple out through the city of Jerusalem. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. And so the trees that Ezekiel is shown in this uh, uh, vision that he sees are in fact the trees of life. And they are growing on either side of the river of life, which is flowing from the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. And this fruit is, uh, bear, these trees bear fruit every month. Um, and we'll see now in, in the heavenly Jerusalem is exactly the same. No difference there. And so the tree of life bears fruit every single month. And that fruit is food for the saints. And we'll have a look at a bit more detail now. But the saints will, this is the, the tree of life that our Lord said he will give us to partake of. And when our, our Lord returns, we, we stand before him for our judgment before he returns to reign on the earth. And so when we, we come to reign on the earth with him, we will be in our resurrected bodies. And in fact, our resurrected bodies will require uh, the nourishment of the fruit of the tree of life. That is the food that our resurrected bodies uh, will be needing uh, in order to make them immortal. Because that is really what the, the fruit of the tree of life does. It, uh, it provides immortality to the physical bodies that we will be living in. But I just wanted to show you that those, uh, the fruit of the tree of life will in fact be present on the earth in the city of Jerusalem when our Lord Jesus Christ reigns on the earth for that thousand year reign. And that's the tree of life that our Lord will give us access to, to partake of that fruit. Um, the book of Revelation 22 verse 2 uh, is a description again of now the tree of life in the heavenly Jerusalem. The description that Ezekiel saw was the tree of life in the physical Jerusalem on this earth um, when our Lord reigns on the earth. That's not when our God the Father and the heavenly Jerusalem come down to the earth in the new heaven and the new earth that God the Father will create. This is the, this earth that exists when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth to reign on the earth. That tree of life will be present on the earth. But this is now a picture of the tree of life in the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is what uh, the scripture reveals to us about that uh, tree. The scripture says, In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. 
The leaves of the tree for, were for the healing of the nation. So it's exactly the same tree. The, the fruit is for food for the saints and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And we saw in Ezekiel's account, he said the leaves are for medicine. Um, and it bears 12 fruits. So it's every single month that this tree bears fruit. And again, he says, um, on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, if you have an understanding of what the heavenly Jerusalem is going to be like, um, in the book of Revelation, the Bible gives us the dimensions of the city. It is massive. It is, um, we in, in, in South Africa, we deal in kilometers. And so the, the, it is set out as a square. It is 2,400 kilometers wide and 2,400 kilometers long. That is the, the, the diameter or the, the, the size of the, of, of the city. But it is also 2,400 kilometers high. Now, a lot of people have thought, okay, well, that means it's a cube, it's a, you know, it's a block. But that's not the case at all. If you go study scripture, the, um, where God dwells, he dwells in the, the holy mountain. It's a mountain um, that is 2,400 kilometers high. It is 2,400 kilometers high, by the way. Um, and so it's 2,400 kilometers wide, 2,400 kilometers long, and 2,400 kilometers high. But it's a mountain in the middle of the of that city. Uh, that city is one huge mountain. And at the top of the mountain is the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. Now what that city looks like is that coming from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb is the river of life. And that river of life flows down around the mountain, coming down through the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, that is. And that river is in the middle of the street for the scripture says in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life and so you have this there's only one street mentioned in in the book of in, in scripture in the city of jerusalem um doesn't say streets plural it just mentions one street and that's obviously a street of gold we know that but that one street is coming down around the mountain. And in the middle of that street is this river of life. And on either side of the river of life, on the banks of the river of life, are the trees of life. Plural. There are more, there's more than, I mean, we just saw that in Ezekiel. He talks about many trees along the bank. And so there are many trees of this uh, tree of life um, that are on either side of the bank. Because, I mean, it's a huge city, 2,400 kilometers by 2,400 kilometers. That's a big city. Um, and so there's more than one tree, and there's a whole bunch of trees, and they all are on the banks of the river of life. And that is the, the tree that produces fruit every single month, which is the fruit of the tree of life. And that is the fruit that our Lord has given us access to as his saints. We will be living in the city of Jerusalem the heavenly city, and so we will have access to that tree. Now, it's also interesting to see that um, they bear 12 fruits for each month, and so just as an aside, um, the new heaven and the new earth that our Father will create will also orbit around the sun, a new sun that God the Father will create. Now, just to get the dimension right, because I, I've seen people try and get it in their thinking, they're trying picture the earth at its current size and then place the new Jerusalem on that earth. 
and it looks completely out of proportion because you've got this massive mountain of 2,400 kilometers high uh, on the Earth. I mean, you think, try and picture a, a, a mountain now that you can see on the Earth 2,400 kilometers high. The whole, whole Earth would tilt over. But that's not the case at all because the new heaven and the new Earth that God will create is immense. So much so that just the one city, the heavenly Jerusalem, is 2,400 kilometers by 2,400 kilometers, with the mountain being 2,400 kilometers high. Now, that mountain most probably is the highest mountain on God's new earth. However, the dimension of the new earth is far greater than the earth that we currently dwell on. It, uh, it is you know, something that we can't really get our minds around, how big God is actually going to create the new earth. But the point is, is that that new earth will revolve around a sun and that sun will cause us to experience um, a dip, a 12 months. It will take one year to go around that sun orbit, just as we're doing in this current earth, just on a far grander scale. And so, yeah, that is the fruit of the tree of life that we will have access to because our Lord Jesus Christ will give us access to it. And we will need that fruit as I mentioned earlier, um, for our resurrected bodies, for that will be the nourishment for our resurrected bodies, for that fruit of the tree of life imparts immortality to our resurrected bodies. Our spirits are immortal already. Our spirits will never die. Uh, we have received eternal life, but uh, our resurrected bodies will need to partake of the fruit of the tree of life in order to be immortal and, and to maintain their life. You say, where do you get that from? In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. I'm going back to the first tree of life that was planted in the Garden of Eden. And let's see what the Lord says about that tree. Scripture says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. This is after Adam and Eve had partaken of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And so they had already committed sin. Going on from the, in that scripture, he says, And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and what? And live forever. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken, Verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so had Adam partaken of the fruit of the tree of life, he would have lived forever. That meant his physical body would have lived forever. His physical body would have then become immortal as angels' bodies are immortal. Angels cannot die. Uh, the scripture teaches us this. Um, and when we... Uh, receive our resurrected bodies, our, our resurrected bodies will also be immortal. They also will not be able to die. But part of what is required for our resurrected bodies is access to the fruit of the tree of life to sustain our resurrected bodies. And that is what our Lord Jesus Christ will give us access to. And so that is why Adam was removed from the Garden of Eden, so that his his earthly body could not become immortal and so we will have access to the fruit of the tree of life because that is the nourishment that our resurrected bodies will require and uh, that is essential for every single believer to have access to the fruit of the tree of life and so that is why our Lord Jesus said um, that he who overcomes 
I will give access to eat from the tree, the fruit of the tree of life. And so that is the first reward that our Lord has in store for us as believers um, on that day. The second reward that our Lord lists uh, is again a, an essential reward for us because we'll see it now. It's in Revelation chapter 2 verse 11. Our Lord speaking, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And so, very essential that as believers, we do not get hurt by the second death. You say, well, what is the second death? Well, the second death is mentioned to us in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 10. Uh, the scripture says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so we see that the lake of fire is in fact the second death. Now the reason it's called the second death is because everybody experiences the first death. For we all, Christians, let's just go and look at Christians quickly. Um, before we come into the kingdom of God, our old man, uh, we died. We, we were all dead spiritually. So we had incurred the first death. Um, when we're born again, the Bible says that our old man dies and we become new creations in Christ Jesus. And the reason that we, our old man dies is that we're baptized into Christ's death. Now, Christ died for us, the Bible teaches us very plainly, and Christ died for everyone. The death that Christ died is in fact the second death for mankind. For the Bible teaches us, for it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. It's not talking about physical death at all, it's talking about spiritual death. And so everybody dies spiritually once um, who continues to live on the earth we, because that's why we need to be born again. And so our Lord Jesus, when he tasted death for us, he in fact incurred our second death it wasn't his second death he died once but it incurred our second death so that we don't have to incur this second death and so that is the death that our lord jesus has tasted for everyone because you know if the scripture says christ died for all and he tasted death for everyone this is the death that he tasted for everyone so not everyone does not have to partake of the second death for it is appointed to man once to die, and after that the judgment. But it is not appointed to man to, to uh, uh, taste of the second death. That was never God's intention. It was always God's intention that mankind not partake of the second death. The second death is in fact, um, the lake of fire and brimstone was in fact prepared for Satan and his angels. It was never prepared for mankind. Uh, nevertheless, mankind has chosen, a lot of them have chosen to follow after Satan and thus will incur the second death. But the second death is being cast into this lake of fire and brimstone. 
even hell and Hades, death and Hades, shall I say, uh, we see in this passage of scripture, will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So death itself, uh, or himself, will be cast into this lake of fire and brimstone. So every unbeliever who is in hell today um, is experiencing torment, but they yet, haven't yet experienced the second death. They are still to experience the second death after their judgment, because the scripture says um, in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Uh, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so they will be taken out of Hades and hell um, at, on their day of judgment, so that's the judgment of condemnation, and they will then be judged according to their works, and they will then be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, the scripture says, uh, anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, everybody who comes into the earth, when they're born into the earth, uh, have their names written in the book of life. Um, it's not a case of we get our names written in the book of life when we accept Christ as Lord, not at all. It's when we're born into the earth that, in fact, right from the outset, um, before the foundation of the world, everyone's name is recorded in the book of life. What happens is, the scripture teaches us, is that people get their names blotted out of the book of life. And so those who choose not to accept uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in that he incurred our second death for us. So we don't have to incur that death. Um, and they choose not to accept his, his sacrifice. Their names are blotted out of the book of life when they physically die. And their names will not be found in the book of life on that day. And they will then be cast into this lake of fire, which is in fact the, the second death, the Bible calls it. And it's actually only in, in uh, this passage of scripture that we is revealed to us this truth of the second death. Um, and so everybody will be cast into that lake of fire and brimstone. Um, the false prophet and the Antichrist, they are the very first two individuals that will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. If you go look in the book of Revelation, at, uh, after the battle of Armageddon, what happens is, is that uh, the Antichrist and his army um, come against the Lord and his army, and the Lord destroys them. Um, and they are all killed, except for two individuals. The Antichrist, well, actually more than two individuals, Satan and his angels are captured as well. But the Antichrist and the false prophet, it's interesting, they do not, the, the whole army gets destroyed. If you go look at uh, the scripture, um, uh, it's Ezekiel's prophecy, Zechariah, where we see a very vivid account of uh, what transpires in that battle. The Bible talks about the fact that their flesh dissolves on them as, um, as our Lord speaks his word over them. With his, uh, he kills them with the sword of his mouth. But the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, the Bible says, are cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. So they don't go to hell as the rest of the, the army does, which are all made up of, of the, the fourth kingdom. Um, these two individuals, they get taken and they get cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. So they're the first two to experience the second death. Um, even Satan and his angels at that time, who are bound, 
um, after that battle, or during that battle, at the end of it, um, and I'll, that cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, the Bible teaches us, so that's when our Lord reigns on, his, on the earth for a thousand years. Satan and his angels are bound in the bottomless pit, which is hell, uh, for a thousand years. They're not cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So only those two individuals, the Antichrist and the false prophet, are cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, the reason they're cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone is because they, in fact, are angelic beings themselves. And we won't go into that side of the teaching. It's got nothing to do with eternal judgment at this point. Um, but they're cast alive. And so they're the very first two individuals that get thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, and mankind was never designed for that. That lake of fire and brimstone was prepared by God for Satan and his angels. And, uh, you know, the Antichrist and the false prophet are falling to that category. But we won't touch in that in any depth today. But the scripture that our Lord, our Lord gives us insight into this fact, that that lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death uh, that we've read in, in the book of Revelation, was never intended for mankind. Um, we see that in Matthew chapter 25, beginning well, at verse 41. Our Lord is speaking, and he says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, our Lord is saying this is how what he will be saying to the goats and the sheep. He divides the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so God never prepared it for mankind. It was never God's intention that any man end up in the lake of fire and brimstone for all eternity and experience the second death. It was always God's intention that we experience eternal life with Christ and that we dwell with him for all eternity. That was God's perfect will. Um, however, the vast majority of mankind chose to reject God's perfect will for their lives and to follow after the God of this world, which is Satan, and rebel against God. And so because they have done that, they, because our Lord made provision for them, they don't have to experience the second death, for He has tasted death for everyone. And, so, and the death He tasted is in fact our second death. And so no believe, no, no, no human, should I say, um, need ever partake of the second death, because Jesus has done that for us. Um, but as I say, majority of, the, of mankind has rejected the sacrifice of the Lord, and has um, chosen of their own free will, to partake of the second death. Now, they do that through ignorance because they don't believe there is such a thing as the second death. They don't believe there's a, a lake of fire. Nobody in their right mind would say, well, uh, rather than spend eternity with God and partaking of the fruit of the tree of life and dwelling in the heavenly Jerusalem, I'll rather go burn in this lake of fire and brimstone for the rest of eternity. Thank you very much. I think that's a better option. No same person makes that choice. But what happens is they, uh, the people who reject the sacrifice of the Lord don't believe that there is such a thing as a second death. They don't believe there is such a thing as this lake of fire and brimstone. And so they, they you know, ignore it and they pretend it doesn't exist. And so thus they can reject the sacrifice that made for them by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the vast majority of the world go that route. Uh, they land up 
in this lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, and they didn't need to go there because Jesus had already paid the price for them and he had tasted death for everyone. And it's only those who believe in him that are then um, set free from having to be experience the second death. And that is why our Lord teaches us. He says that this is what uh, the, uh, the reward is. He says that he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And there's another passage of scripture that says the second death has no power over the saints. And so as believers in Christ Jesus, and that's, remember we said, it's only those who are believers in Christ Jesus who, who are overcomers. And so that's the qualification. You need to be born again. If you're born again, you're an overcomer. If you're an overcomer, you will not be hurt by the second death. It has no power over you because Christ Jesus has tasted death for everyone. He's, he's incurred that death on our behalf. And so we don't have to. Remember we said that this category of rewards are freely given to us in Christ because He has won them for us in what He has done for us. Nothing, nothing we can earn, even as believers. We can't earn these rewards. These are given to us freely because we are believers in Christ Jesus. And so that second death is in fact this lake of fire and brimstone, which will be located, by the way, just on the outskirts of the new uh, heavenly Jerusalem. It won't be, you know, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. The Bible talks about the fact that in, in the book of Revelations that the smoke of their torment, uh, those who are in this lake of fire and brimstone, will rise up before the Lamb and His angels forever and ever. That, that, that furnace that is burning uh, and in which all unbelievers and all of Satan's angels and Satan himself will be cast for all eternity, will be just outside of the New Jerusalem. And we as believers will in fact be able to see their torment. You say, yeah, that sounds a bit hectic. Well, let's have a look at the scripture along that line. If you go look at the book of Revelation, it very clearly states that the smoke of their torment rises up before the Lamb and the angels forever and ever. So the, the smoke of that furnace will be visible forever and ever. It will always be rising. As a reminder, maybe, uh, to everybody else living on the, on the earth, that that is what happens to God's enemies. And so let's have a look at another scripture that, again, just highlights the truth for us uh, about what the second death is. And we are so thankful to our Lord Jesus that he has redeemed us from this, that we do not have to experience this. And uh, the scripture is in Isaiah chapter 66, beginning at verse 22. Scripture says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me. So we, uh, we've re already alluded to it, but our God our Father, this heaven, the heaven that we know today and the earth we know today will be completely done away with. I know there's a we're teaching out there that says God's just going to make over this world and you know, he's going to just refurbish it and carry on with the same world. Not at all. God, the scripture is very plain. God will make a new heaven and a new, new heavens, plural, and a new earth. Um, and as I mentioned, it's going to be a huge earth compared to the one that we currently dwell in on. Um, because just look at the one city. Um, anyway, so God our Father is speaking. He says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make Remain, shall remain before me, says the Lord. 
so shall your descendants and your name remain, talking to our Lord Jesus. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now look at this, verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And so we will be able to, because our Lord is telling us that in the new earth that He's going to create for us, and that new, if you go look at the book of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem comes down from God the Father out of heaven to the new earth, and we will dwell with God our Father and our Lord Jesus in the new Jerusalem for all eternity. Um, but what will happen is the whole earth, because there's going to be multitudes still living on the earth, and again, we don't touch on that today. It's got no part with this teaching, but it's, it's nevertheless going to be the case. Um, we'll be coming to the heavenly Jerusalem and on the new moons, and we'll be celebrating the new moons before God the Father and the Lord Jesus. The Sabbaths will be celebrating before God the Father and the Lord Jesus. But the point that I really wanted to get across here in verse 24 is that we'll be able to go forth, the scripture says, our Lord says, God the Father says, they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Talking about the corpses, talking about those who are in this lake of fire and brimstone. We'll be able to go over and look at them and view their eternal torment that they are experiencing. That's where it'll be. It'll be just outside the city. They shall go forth and look upon them. And so when we come up to worship God the Father in the new world, when the whole earth comes up to worship. And so that is the second death. And uh, we are so thankful that our Lord has redeemed us from the second death. We're also thankful that our Lord has given us access to the fruit of the tree of life. And so those are two rewards that are freely given to the saints um, by the Lord Jesus on that day. And we will partake of those rewards for obviously for all eternity. Now there are other rewards and as we go through the series of teachings we'll touch on those rewards. But we're going to end up on that particular point today.